0: your name and we can praise your name because of the work of our savior jesus we thank you that although you are holy and completely other and set apart that you choose to have relationship with us by way of the accomplished work of your son and his blood and spirit of god we thank you that you are in us and we ask now that you'd be with us and that you would guide us we need you and we pray as only you can god that you would cause us to learn from your word for we ask this in christ's name amen you can be seated if you were searching for a church, maybe you are, maybe you're here searching, or maybe you're leaving, um, and you were searching for a church, what would be on your list? What are the things that you would look for in a church if you were looking for a, a church? I remember when we were in the school at one point in time in Benetto, we had visiting, and they came and chatted with me, and as we were talking, they said, oh, we, we actually thought you were further along in the capital campaign than you were. And uh, we don't like meeting in rented facilities, so we don't plan to attend until you're in the new facility because we'd prefer to be in a building like that than you know, having to sit up and take down every week. And I said, then this probably isn't the place for you. If, if that's what you're looking for, you're looking for brand new shiny, then you're likely in the wrong place. And I would encourage you not to come back. Now, some of you might find that forward that I would do that. Um, but, I, but I say it truthfully. I mean, sometimes I've talked to people and the first thing on their list is the nursery space. I mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't have a good nursery, but the nursery space, sometimes it's friendly. I mean, I remember reading one couple that was here that talked about, and this hasn't been everyone's experience, how friendly they appreciate us being. A couple who'd been in ministry for years um, who were settling out of that into something else, and they said, we decided, a mature couple in their 50s, that we would go and visit churches we wouldn't say hi to anyone, and we'd see how many people would come and approach us and talk to us. And I'm like, whoa. Like, I'm, like, I'm like, if you're a mature couple in your 50s, you just should be going and talking to people. Like, what's going on here that we reverse all of this? That, you know, people will talk to me about, oh, you know, the music, it just doesn't, it doesn't suit me. I'm like, yeah, like, shouldn't our, on our list be like that I'm actually able to worship the Lord God Almighty? Like that I'm led into his presence Um, And yet we get all confused when we're looking for church. And often when we think of this, we think of Acts 2 and Acts 4, when we think of the book of Acts, and we think of the model in Acts for church. But Acts chapter 20 actually is an outstanding model for what New Testament church should look like. Acts 20 actually walks us through an incredible model for what New Testament church can look like. And too often we just simply talk about this in terms of eldership as Paul is giving an address to the Ephesian elders here in Acts 20. But this is so much more than eldership. There's something so much greater here. So if you have your Bibles, Acts 20, whether it's on your device or in your hand, um, in terms of book form, Acts 20, verse 17, following um, from a latest, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church, When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time while I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testings by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful uh, to you, uh, but taught you publicly from house to house and from house to house. I have declared to both Jew and Greek that they must turn to God in repentance And have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. Not knowing what happened to me here, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me and only aim to finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now, I know that none of uh, you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of any of your blood. I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. So watch over yourselves and over the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherd of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock even from your own number men, will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied My own needs and my needs of my companions in everything I did, I showed you by this kind of hard work that we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them, and prayed, and they all wept as they embraced and kissed him. What grieved them the most was his statement that he would never see—they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. Five things. I know I'm not great at outlines. That's one of my weaknesses in preaching. Five things this morning. Number one, you're personally invested. Number two, both you hear and convey the truth. Number three, on mission together. Number four, you're prepared for opposition. Number five, with friends you love. So firstly, personally invested. You're personally invested. Know what Paul says here in verse 18. He says, you know how I lived. Paul says, I want you to look back and you can can see how I lived. You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. I was personally invested in this ministry. And he says, I was invested with tears and with humility. Tears maybe because of the opposition. He talks right there in that verse, verse 29, of the opposition and the plots from his Jewish opponents, but likely also empathetic tears, as he also talks about working with the weak. So likely it's both tears in terms of of the hardship that he faced in preaching and presenting the gospel, as well as tears that he faced in empathy, in caring for people, and wanting them to know Christ, and growing in their faith in Christ. He gave of himself. He offered himself. He served. He offers a quote from Jesus, one we don't have in scripture. So if you look this up, you're not going to find it in the gospels. Now, you need to remember, the Gospels aren't written at this time. They don't exist. They're writing them. They're writing the Gospels. Maybe at this time, depending on which Gospel you think is written first, maybe Mark is written by now. Because Paul's now into his third missionary journey. So we'd be about the time when Gospels are being written. But likely, as Paul's hanging out with the other apostles, hearing the accounts of Jesus, he's heard that at some point in Jesus' ministry, Jesus said, It's better, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so he's not paraphrasing something here. It's just something you don't find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Right? The disciples are talking about it. They didn't record it for us as words uh, in their their portions of Scripture. But Paul does here. And says, we know Jesus says, Jesus said in his words, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so here, he's just personally invested. Knowing that through tears, he's giving of his life so others can live. He's facing opposition. Opposition. He's helping the weak. He's walking alongside of them. Do you serve with tears? Do you serve with tears? Are you burdened for lost people around you who don't know Christ? Are you burdened for weak Christians around you who aren't growing in their faith? Do you serve with tears? It should be one of the marks of our church. Now, tears doesn't mean you're actually you don't have to be weeping. It just means that you have empathy. You you actually are caring for and concerned for the people around you who are either aren't wanting to walk with Christ, or who are struggling in their faith and weak in their faith. But he says, I also did so in humility, with great humility. Paul says, you know how I lived. You could see my example in humility. And some of you might think it's funny that Paul talks about his humility. But he wants them to reflect back on his life in the three years and say, see how humbly I lived among you. I mean, his following at this point in time would have been tens of thousands of people. This is his third missionary journey. Planted lots of churches. He, in all respects, is a world-renowned celebrity. I mean, that's who he is. How many people's writings do we have today that we read from 2,000 years ago? Not many. But we still read his. Believe fully, inspired by God. That's something to say, isn't it? How many other people do you read from 2,000 years ago? Not many. But God, as an apostle, inspired Paul by his spirit, and so his following is massive, and so is his opposition. He says, I want you to think about how I did this humbly. George Whitfield lived in the 1700s. He was born in the United Kingdom. He moved to the United States of America. And it was told that his voice could so carry when he was outdoors that between 25,000, 25,000 and 30,000 people could hear him speaking at any time. And he was so eloquent. His mastery of the English language was so brilliant that large crowds would gather. And Benjamin Franklin, who became a good friend of his, thought it was all a farce, thought there's no way people can hear it this way. So Benjamin Franklin, being someone who, who uh, is academic and scientific in nature, he went to one of Whitfield's uh, meetings, and he listened to him. He started at the front, and he paced himself back, and he paced himself far enough back, and then he paced himself to the sides to see approximately how many people were there. He then determined how, many, uh, uh, how much space each person would need, and he went far enough back until he could no longer hear Whitfield preaching, and he said, there is between 25,000 and 30,000 people here. And he said, I no longer doubt. Now, he didn't become a believer, but the two of them engaged in conversation through all of Whitfield's life, back and forth. And one day, it was heard said of this. Franklin recorded this. When Whitfield was coming off of the pulpit and people would say to him, oh, Mr. Whitfield, you are so eloquent. Your your preaching is just the, the mastery you have of the English language, he would say it. I know it because the devil just told me that as I was stepping down from the pulpit. That was the way he stayed humble. I know it. I, I know I'm eloquent. The devil just reminded me. And what's he saying there? It's easy to start to think it's you. It's your skill. It's your talent. It's your ability. It doesn't have to be preaching. It can be whatever it is. It can be musical up here on the platform. It can be skill in a nursery can be assistance behind the scene. There's no one that administers as well as you administrate your leadership in a community group. And all of a sudden, you can start to think of yourself more than you are. And Paul says, I led with tears, and I led with humility as I personally invested in this community. Notice he also said, I was satisfied with what I was provided with. I was satisfied with what I was provided with. Verse 33, I have not coveted anyone's gold or silver or clothing. He says, as I went among all of you, I didn't covet anything you had, even though at times he was just broke. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. I mean, Paul was a tent maker. And he says, I supplied not only my needs, but the needs for those around me. And know what he says, I have not coveted. Now, that's fascinating. Why? What was the sin that Paul committed against God, of which he knew he needed a savior. Coveting. We hear about that in other parts of scripture. It was Paul's coveting that eventually led him on that Damascus road, right? As you, as you hear him unpack it later on in the, in the epistles, that he realized he, how, how much of a sinner he was. And here he says, I didn't covet. I, I, I didn't look, he said, for money from you. I, I wasn't trying to do that. He said, I, I just get you to do my tent making. Now we know when he was in Corinth, that uh, Timothy and and, uh, Silas, as they're coming from uh, the Macedonia area, I looked at this in Acts 18, and they're coming, Paul moves from tent making to say, now I can focus my whole attention on the gospel, and likely that's when they brought the gift. He likely received the gift that they had taken up from the offering in Philippi and those neighboring churches when he was there in Corinth. Paul receives the gift, and you can see that transition there in the text. So it's not to say that he never received money, but likely here in Ephesus he didn't, which is why he says, you know, I just worked with you. I not only preached tirelessly, I not only taught tirelessly with tears, with humility, but I worked so that I could live and so that my companions could live. Now, if we're on staff at a church, I should talk about our satisfaction with what we make and turning to God because we need God for that contentment. We're struggling with contentment. For those of us that aren't paid by a church community, it should say to us that we should be Thankful with the Lord's recognition. That we don't even need, always need recognition from a pastor or from someone else. Oh, thank you for leading a community group. Oh, thank you for helping do this. Oh, thank you for that. That if you didn't get an email of thanks, that you shouldn't be like, woe is me. That your recognition should be coming from the Lord, not from anyone else. That's not to say that we shouldn't be appreciating each other. Of course we should be. It's just to say that sometimes I know people and get all upset that they've done something and I'll hear months later, you know, no one thanked them for that. I'm like, wow. So that's what they wanted, thanks, right? No, our, our, our thanks, our appreciation is found in the fact that we're serving the Lord in humility and with tears. So Paul was personally invested, personally invested in the ministry. Are you? Are you personally invested in James North Baptist Church? Are you personally plugging in? Are you helping out somewhere? Are you pitching in? Are you involved in the lives of other people with tears and with humility? Coming along, serving in whatever capacity that God's granted you gifts in to help others that are weak to grow in their faith. Secondly, willing to both hear and convey the truth. Willing to both hear and convey the truth. Note verse 20. Paul says, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful, but... Uh, to you, but taught you publicly and from house to house. Paul says, I didn't hesitate to teach anything. He was bold in his proclamation. He was willing to convey the whole counsel of the word of God. Tim, Tim Keller, in his message on this, was talking about knowing God. And he says something to this effect. I'm not quoting, but I'm paraphrasing. He said, you can't just believe whatever you want about God. You can't just believe whatever you want about God. God has spoken. God's actually spoken. And lots of people want to just believe whatever they want about God. They did then, they do now. But he's given us a guide. Is that not good news? We don't need to guess. He's actually given us a guide where we can understand who he is, who we are, and how we relate to him. He's written it down in black and white. I'm not saying at times it's not hermeneutically difficult to understand, or at times we don't go back and forth trying to figure out what it looks like or means. But so often for so many people, they're like, well, I I think God's fine with this, or I think God allows this, or I think God's like this. And I'm like, where do you find that in the Word? They're like, well, you know, it may not be in the Word, and it may go against some of the passages in the Bible, but I mean, this is 2022, Dwayne. I'm like, no. This is living and active. This is eternal. Like, when everything else fades the word of the God, the word word of the living God will last how long? Forever. Forever. Is that not good news? It's that dependable that this word is eternal. It lasts forever. And so Paul said, I didn't hesitate in any way to teach you the truth, to teach it to you. In verse 27, he says it, he says it this way, he says, I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. In verse 32, he says it this way, he says, now I commit uh, you to God and to the word of his grace, to the word of his grace. Now he says what the word of his grace does, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The word of God builds us up. It's helpful, it's helpful. It's helpful. The Word of God, I said this a few weeks ago, because it's true, can stand up to any philosophy or ideology in this world. Is that not good news? As Christians, we don't need to fear any ideology that's out there. We don't need to fear any philosophy that's out there. We don't need to to fear what people think about anything that's contrary to the Word of God. The Word of God is true. Is that not great news? This afternoon, Amy and I are going to go see friends of mine that I went to high school with. They're not believers um, live on a farm, yuga, and uh, to Amy's dismay, they've got a karaoke machine for the weekend. I don't know if they bought it permanently or they got it last night, so they're sending me pictures while I'm at baseball last night of the karaoke machine, and Amy said to me on the way out this morning, she said, just so you know, I'm not doing karaoke. Like, there's just no way I'm doing karaoke. And uh, my unsaved friend here, like, he is, he is a completely antagonistic to the gospel. He would call himself a complete atheist. And he always has been. And last year, a bunch of us turned 50, and so we've kept touch over the years, but most of my high school friends and I haven't, and he's wanted to reunite a whole bunch of us. So I've gone out a couple of times, Amy and I and the girls have gone out, to Jewel and Ivy love it because it's a farm and there's goats and, and chickens and like all that they get to chase and run around. Like they, they've got like a, a, a garden, a garden that's like half the size of this room almost. Like it's, it's incomprehensible how big the garden is on this farm. And so we're going out today, and, and I'm prepared that somewhere in there there's gonna be some antagonistic opposition in our friendship, because that's almost always what happens. I'm not gonna be surprised if Roe vs. Wade comes up today. Like, I'm just not gonna be surprised if that's something, like last time I was there, they went for the juggler a few times, right? And I'm, I reminded them in the middle of it as we were going back and forth that my children were there um, as the debate ensued. But we can't be afraid. The gospel is true. Is that not good news? It can hold up to any ideology, to any philosophy, because it is the truth of the living God. And we need to go humbly, and we need to go prayerfully, but we don't need to shrink back from what God has said. Listen, verse 21. I have declared to both Jew and Greek, as he says, I didn't hesitate to preach anything that would be helpful, that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Now note, he's not only bold in proclaiming the word of God, but he says that it's also helpful. Did you catch that? He proclaimed the truth because it's helpful. I mean, that's what verse 32 is saying when we looked at it. I commit you to God and the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you the inheritance among all of those who are sanctified. It's helpful. I uh, was driving to People's Church last Sunday to speak there in Toronto. And I had just spoken 10 times at NBC that week. And then I had two services last Sunday at People's Church. So the span of a week, I was speaking 12 times. And I, and I just know, okay, Lord, I'm driving up to People's Church. I, just need, I need you just to speak to me. Like, I'm just a bit tired. I want to be able to present your word well this morning. So I turned on the radio and there was WDCX. And I wondered who was on, and it was Robbie Simons from Hope Oakville. And so I just decided I'm just gonna listen to this message for a few minutes on my way into, into people's church. And this message was amazing. I listened to the whole thing because it, you know, it takes a little while to drive to Toronto, even if you're driving quickly. And Sunday morning, there is no one on the roads. Um, not dangerously quickly, just quickly. And so, and so you know, you're driving there, listening to Robbie, and I just while I was driving, just felt, well, Lord, this was for me this morning. Like, this was helpful. In fact, helpful so much that later on, I messaged Robbie and said, hey, want you to know? Like, I was driving to Toronto today, heard your message, and brother, I'm so thankful that we're partners in the gospel. So thankful that you preached that word. So thankful that God used you because not only is he using the people of Hope Oakville, but he used you in my, in my heart this morning, so thank you for that. The word of God is helpful. It's helpful. It helps us to understand who God is. It helps us know how we should live. It helps us know how to order our finances. It helps us in our marriage when we're going through a crisis. I met a couple at NBC who were going through both a financial crisis and a health crisis all at the same time. And as we were talking, I said, what has been most helpful? And they said two things, God's people and his word. They said, God's people have rallied around us to come alongside us and offer assistance. And his word, they said, Dwayne, we have only found his word in this trial to be true. Is that not great news? We've only found his word in this trial to be true. God has found himself faithful. And that's why we want to be people who hear the word and who convey the word. We hear truth and we convey truth. And know what he says, both publicly and house to house. He's doing it both in terms of public forum and then from house to house. That's why we have community groups. That's why people gather in covenant groups. We want people to be doing this in each other's homes. We want them to be doing this as they gather. It's not something you do in the same way on social media. In fact, social media actually isolates us from each other. You think you have friends all over, but it's the face-to-face. It's being in person. It's the interaction. I'm not saying there's not some things that are helpful about social media, but read the studies that are coming out about all of the harm that comes from social media. I, Gen. Gene Twenge, sociologist that I greatly respect, not a believer. So many others that are coming out that talk about the great harm that comes from the overuse of it and the necessity of our culture to get back to -to face-to-face interaction. How critical it is and what that looks like and how important it is. Yeah, it was both public up in front of people and it was house-to-house. It was gathering with each other. It was spending time with each other, learning from each other. I mean, one of the things that warmed my heart so much last night at the men's, at the men's uh, baseball game and, and then after at the Truths for the barbecue. And listen, we have some guys in our church that can play ball. It was a lot of fun. About 30 of us were there, and, and uh, it, it was great. And some of you can really hit a ball It was something else, and some of us should work on it. And, but it was good. It was still a good time. And as I listened to the conversation at the barbecue of all these men talking... So much, I mean, some of it was just fun, banter. But then I I heard people talking about struggles. I heard people talking about areas where they could use prayer. I saw people praying for each other right there. In fact, I'm driving home, and as I'm driving home and taking Daniel with me, sorry, Daniel, I'm throwing you here under the bus, but Daniel just broke into prayer to pray for the men that Kelly Yin had broke, uh, brought, asking that God would save them because Kelly had brought some unsaved friends. And Daniel, just as we're driving home, just began to pray for them and pray for them by name and ask God to powerfully work in their lives and take some of what they heard. As uh, Daniel Chan, he, he shared a message last night. And just God, would you just powerfully powerfully work in their lives? And it was just beautiful. And as I just walked around. I thought, this is what church is supposed to be like. Right? It's, 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 it's both being personally invested and then it's hearing the word, it's coming under the word and conveying the word. Both without hesitation because it's true and in a way that people find it helpful. In a kind gracious way. Notice later in the passage he calls it the word of grace. It's the word of grace. That's how we should be bringing this to people. It's a word of grace that we offer to them as we share who Christ is with them. Well, then, we find in the passage, you're personally invested. You're willing to hear and convey the truth. And then next, sorry, I've got my notes very different than I normally do. You're on mission together. You're on mission together. No, verse 22. And now, compelled by the Holy Spirit, he says, I'm compelled by the Spirit, Twice there he talks about that. I know in every city the Holy Spirit warns me of the prison hardships. Note, verse 24, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Only, my only aim is to finish the race, complete the task God's given me. What's the race to task? The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. He says, I need to finish the task for which God called me. That's to convey the grace of the good news of Jesus Christ to everyone. They're on mission together. They're on mission to help the weak, and they're on mission to see the lost around them come to faith in Christ. It's part of what the early church did, and they did it together. They did it together. And so they want, watch verse 28, right, where Paul talks about here, I've already mentioned this, but in the passage, when you're kind of walking through it, he says, you know, God, he says, as overseers, uh, you're to watch over yourselves and over the, the, the flock that he's given you as part of the mission, So as part of the mission, we're to watch ourselves and those that are around us. He then says to the elders some of the things that they're on task for. He says, you're overseers. He then says in verse 28, you're shepherds of the church of God, which he brought by his own blood. And so he goes on here and he talks about the task of elders. At our church, we see four tasks given to elders in the New Testament as we're on mission together, right? We're to convey sound doctrine and refute false doctrine. So Scripture, right? Word. Prayer. We're to be men of prayer. And so we gather once a month just to pray for our church. We pray at our elders meeting, and we have a whole separate meeting just for prayer. Shepherding, walking alongside of people to shepherd them through community groups, personal interaction, what that looks like. And then oversight, where you generally oversee the entire church. And so Paul says here, This is what you're called to do. And he says in verse 26, he's talking to him. I'm innocent of the blood of all these people because I have not hesitated to proclaim the word of God. It's something that I just haven't stopped doing. So he's on mission to proclaim the testimony of what God's done in his life. He calls the elders on mission to watch themselves and then as they're on mission to shepherd and to oversee the church there in Ephesus and as he's doing so, he reminds them in verse 26 and 27 that he's innocent of all blood. Because, verse 27, why, I have not hesitated that word again to proclaim to you the whole will of God. I have told you everything that God has said you're to do, to live by. It's why we go on mission together. And whether that mission is us together together coming alongside of the children this week in a camp. Do you know when we ran the sports camp? You'll see this in a video in a couple weeks. Two weeks ago that we had a number of kids from Muslim families participating. Do you know it was really hard to get them involved? They're out at soccer, but actually signing them up was challenging because we needed dads to help us figure that out. And normally the moms are coming to the park and together we had to create like a bit of a, a system to figure out how to sign them up. Jenna, sorry, here we go. And so Jenna, our administrator, that most of you know is shy and quiet and doesn't like any attention drawn to her. So I'm not really doing that now. I'll look over this way. Um, If you go to the soccer night, where's Jenna sitting? First, she walks around talking to a whole bunch of people at soccer. And then you see her sitting with five or six Muslim women talking to them. And the reason we have those kids in our league is because Jenna and Derek and Isaiah and a few others, but God predominantly is Jenna there to engage with all of them and to talk to them and to love on them in Jesus' name, and to work with them till those kids could come here and hear the gospel. Now, all of you think I can do that, but when Jenna can do it and she's shyer and quieter and she just senses God's call on her life to do it and she does it so well, I'd suggest way more of us can do that than we think is possible. And whether it's at on or The Hub, whether it's with the Karen or those that are coming in our Portuguese service, that we want to say we're the innocent of all people's blood. I mean, salvation belongs to the Lord. We know that. He saves. But in the sense that we have not hesitated to proclaim the whole will of God to everyone that comes into contact with us because we are unashamed of the gospel itself. But we do it helpfully, because it's the word of grace. Does that make sense? Do you see what he's doing here? And we pray for open doors, asking God to move in ways that only he can move. So maybe for some of us, we just study a bit about the Muslim faith. I kind of delved back into it recently again to understand it. I mean, I've read the Koran before. I've been to mosques multiple times in my life. But I just needed some reminders as we're engaged some, with some more Muslims. I mean, you may or may not know this, but the Muslims believe in the virgin birth. It's right there in the Quran. The Muslims believe Jesus performed miracles. The Muslims believe Jesus is a great teacher. The Muslims believe that he's coming back. Do you know that? It's right there in the Quran now. They believe he's coming back as the great prophet of of, of Allah, one of the great prophets of Allah, like as a Muslim. But then when you're engaging with them, we can show them without hesitation and yet helpfully from the word of truth why he was virgin born. Where do they get it from? I mean, it was written 600 years after the Bible. Well, 600 years, sorry, not after the whole Bible, but after, after Matthew, Mark, after the Gospels. right? Where do they get it from? Right here. Where do they get his teachings from? Right here. Where do they get his miracles from? Right here. Where do they hear he's a great prophet? Right here. Where do they hear he's returning from? Right here. And, and we can take what they know in part and show them what it means in truth, believing that God can open their eyes and lead them to a faith, place of repentance where they turn from what they believed in and turn to Jesus. Wouldn't it be amazing if next summer we were sitting here and under the preaching of the word, there were 12 or 14 families that were sitting here that had converted from the Muslim faith because God loves to save people. Is that not good news? We're going to have a soccer barbecue week Tuesday. You know what I'm praying for? For every coach that's coming that night that none of you talk to each other. Did you hear that? Except beforehand to set up and after to take down. You just don't talk to each other because you spend the whole night talking to your kids and getting to know their families. And maybe you can do that for three kids and their families. Maybe you're more like me and you can do that for 30 kids and their families because I'm just gonna kind of walk around. Maybe you've got a calling like Jenna and you can do that for the Muslim kids and their families. But that night we're there to declare the gospel to all those that are coming who don't know Christ both publicly, Bob Keats will do it from the front, and house to house, person to person, as they gather that night at soccer. Because we're on mission together, under the helpful guide and and leadership of elders who are our overseers and our shepherds who proclaim the word to us and pray, but still on mission together in what God is calling us to do. Know what Paul says at verse 24. I mean, do you think this about yourself? I consider my life worth nothing to me. I just want to finish the task that God has given me to testify to the good news of his grace. Fourthly, man, I got to move here, but these last two are quick. He's prepared for opposition. He's prepared for opposition in verses 29 to 31. He knows it's coming. And so he talks about it. He says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you. So they're going to come in from the outside in and not spare the flock. They're going to be vicious. And even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth to draw away disciples after them. They're going to come from the outside in. They're going to be raised up from the inside itself. That's hard, isn't it? I mean, in my 27 and a half years here, we've had to deal with that at times, where people have shifted in their theology and are no longer sound in their doctrine. I mean, I talked about this a number of weeks ago when I looked at Acts 15, and the fact that I think there's four categories with which you understand Scripture, sound doctrine, disputable matters, unsound doctrine, and heresy. And if someone's in the area of sound doctrine, we celebrate together. If someone's in the area of disputable matter, because there's lots of stuff we're not going to see eye to eye on, and it's disputable in, in, in Christianity, unity, is paramount over any disputable matter. We need to get along and just know that we're going to at times agree to disagree because unity is paramount. I mean, that Sunday I preached that sermon. Uh, Conan and Brenda Kubik were here from New City, right? Pato Baptist, right? Celebrating, worshiping. Amy and I went out with them for lunch after. And, and we had a great lunch with them. And the fellowship that we have together is just glorious. It's just wonderful. And and, and here we are with some differences of opinion around baptism and difference of opinion around maybe church polity and how that looks as they're presbytery and we're Baptists. But the core of what we believe is so essential that we find ourselves as brothers and sisters in Christ who are working together on mission in Hamilton for what God's called us to. But there are times when someone will start teaching unsound doctrine. And the Gospels really clearly, like the Bible says... Those that are doing that, you rebuke, you refute, you correct. And at times people move to a place of heresy. And in First Timothy it says you hand those people over to Satan. That terminology is used twice in scripture. I looked at it a few weeks ago. To be taught not to blaspheme. That you actually shift them outside of the blessing of the kingdom of God and say you're no longer welcome in the church until you repent of what you're teaching. And so we should be prepared for opposition. With the six students you saw introduced today, we've taken them through, they started in May, we've taken them through two of three books. Trent has very capably led us through those studies and uh, at the end I said, you know, I know you got four weeks of camp, it's busy, do you want to lead us through the last book at the end or do you want me to? And Trent was like, I got this, man. And uh, this past week he led us through the book Taking God of His Word by Kevin DeYoung. I've handed it out to so many of you. If you don't have that book, it is a book everyone should have. It's just a simple little book on scripture. You can get an audio version or you can get it... uh, uh, you know, just a book. It's like 120 pages, taking God word, accessible, readable. But as you're we going through it, Trent at one point said, man, I'm going to paraphrase you here, Trent. I'm not going to quote you. I don't remember exactly what you said. But he talked about how, with Adam and Eve, that one of Satan's main ploys was just deception. He just wanted to cast doubt. Did God really say? Did God really say this to you? And that's still one of his, one of his main, main ways of getting our attention, the enemy, And casting doubt on our relationship with God and what God has said in His goodness, He wants us to think: Did God really say? Did God really say? Did God really say? Did God really say this about whatever it is about lying, about gossip, about 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 you name it? Did God really say this? Did God really say you need to forgive? Did God really say you could be saved from that sin? Did God really say you just name whatever it is? He wants to cast doubt. Did God really say you need to be generous with the money He's given you? Did God really say He just wants to cast doubt continually? In fact, it was a great moment because Joseph and Trent, who sometimes go back and forth a little bit with this unhealthy relationship, I'm, right? Yeah. Uh, Joseph said, wow, you really just taught me something. Like, Trent, that was brilliant. You remember that moment? Yeah, you won't forget it for the rest of your life. No. Because they do banter back and forth quite a bit. Um, and Trent, who's wonderful, also you saw in the video, has some oddities about him. And so, no, it was fine. That, that was your finger, right? Yeah. and. And so in that, we were just thankful, and we're growing together. And then lastly, and I'm done, with friends you love. Did you see what happened? He kneels down to pray with them. They're gathering to pray, and they all just embrace and weep because they know they'll never see him again, even though it's only been three years. They just gather because in those the three years, the friendship of the opposition of the enemy that was ensuing upon them of seeing people one to faith in Christ, of celebrating baptisms together, of of watching people renounce their faith and walk away. All of that is there as they gathered as God's people on mission together. And all of that is coming back in a flood of memory as they're gathering. And Paul is saying farewell. And they know God's calling him on mission. They're not going to stop him. But they're grieving knowing that they won't see him again until eternity. And there are times when we grieve people as, as they've left here. I mean, how many people have gone through this ministry over the years? I mean, well over a dozen, 18 or so, that have left in 27 and a half years and gone into full-time ministry other places, right? Mark, Ian, Mike, Wes, so many people I could name. Many that you don't know who have served with us on staff and then or interns and then gone out from here to other places. And, and you're thankful they're going out, but you grieve their loss. And it's, it's not just... It's not just full-time staff. I mean, when Joel and Melissa were here visiting a, f- a few, I don't know, maybe even a couple months ago now, I lose track of time, and they'd gone out as one of the core couples from Lightway. And they were just so awesome. I mean, I, I remember grieving them leaving. I'm like, man, Joel, you'd be such an awesome elder here, but I'm so thankful you're going with them. And up at NBC talking to Ian about seeing them, and, and Ian being like, oh, what would we have done without Joel and Melissa at Lightway? Right? And I could speak of Matt and Jenny, or I could speak of Mike and Tiffany. I mean, there's so many, Diana Crosby, who's going, I mean, so many people who've been here over the years that we've loved and have loved us. And, and we've, we've, without hesitation, declared the word together. We've personally invested together. We've faced opposition together. We've been on mission together. And through all of that, we've become friends together. And then at times, God says of them, and now I'm moving you on to this other mission. And you grieve as you rejoice because these are people that you love and care for and you've been on mission with. And you know you may not see them again until eternity. Because as you gather, you grow together and you serve together. One of the things that was awesome last night, you guys can come up, was as I just listened to some of the conversation, there were guys talking about marriage and Some guys talking about having been married a long period of time and some shorter period of time. And guys talking about first first year of marriage. Like some people saying, yeah, hardest year ever. And some people saying, yeah, no, it wasn't the first year. It's this year, right? COVID's been tough. Just honestly, people talking about how difficult that was. Some people talking about how first year was easy. Like, woo, first year, and then it got harder after that. And just listening to people talk about that and what that was like for them. And and some of that, I just, I mean, what's that do? It it builds relationships. Right, Just that honesty, just just that willingness to kind of share some of that. And so we grow together based on this book, what God has told us. And we serve together as he calls us to. So we need to be people who are personally invested, conveying the word of truth as we come under it together without hesitation, but helpfully while we're on mission. Not at all surprised when opposition will come. Gaining friendships that you grow to love because they're friendships in Christ. Isn't that a great passage from Acts 20? That as Paul says goodbye to the Ephesian elders, we're reminded a little bit of what church can look like. And why is there church? Why does it exist? Because our Savior chose to take a group of people and love them he would die for them on a cross, his blood would be shed, his body would be broken. And he would say, not only am I adopting you as my children, the father's children, but I'm granting you a family. Just look around for a minute. Just, just, to just take your head, turn it, and look around for a minute. Just, just turn side to side and look around. This is the family of God, is that not exciting? This is the family that God has called you to be a part of. I mean, if you're a guest today, we're glad you're here. But for those of you that are here on a regular basis, this is the family God has called you to be a part of. It's the family that God's asked you to invest in. This is the family that's going to pour into you. This is the family that you get to love. This is the family that will face opposition. This is your family. And Jesus granted us family at the expense of his own life. And so we're going to sing a song, and then in a few minutes we're going to celebrate a cup that reminds us that his body was broken for us on a cross and his blood was shed for us. Now, you may be sitting here today, and maybe you haven't crossed a line of faith where you've accepted Christ as Savior, where he saved you. We're going to invite you just to take the baskets and pass them to the person next to you so they can make their way through the auditorium. But if you're someone who's saved, you know who Christ is, and you're walking with him, we encourage you today take, to take this cup and during the couple of songs that are there to open it up and to take this little wafer that will remind you of the body of Christ broken for you and drink this juice that will remind you of the blood of Christ shed for you. And maybe today to reflect upon the fact that as he's done this for you, He's granted you a family, brothers and sisters in Christ, by his shed blood and accomplished work. So I'm gonna pray, we're gonna sing a song, then some of our elders and others are gonna come up to distribute the elements to us. We are thankful that you are God, and we're thankful that your love for us is amazing. God, we confess that we don't always personally invest It's easy to just back away. We confess that we don't always proclaim the truth without hesitation and we're not always helpful when we do it. God, we we confess that we're not always on mission together. We, We confess, God, that sometimes we ignore the fact that there are wolves coming in and sometimes we want to walk away from friendship rather than embracing them. God, we confess that I confess it about myself. And so, God, may we be a people who are invested in your kingdom and work who without hesitation declare your truth and do so in a helpful way as it's the word of grace, who are on mission together as your people, who recognize that there will be opposition and stand firm against it, especially elders who do so. And God, who celebrate friendships in Christ because they're the greatest friendships we ever are a part of. And we pray this in the powerful, resurrected name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen.